Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Scoop. I'm going to bring on the guest, the man of the night. Gonna bring on right now Brandon Scoopy Robinson, host of the Scoopy Radio Podcast and a senior writer at Basketball Society. Scoopy, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I appreciate the time and you coming on. Uh, not really last minute, but just like taking some time out of your night. I know you're doing probably a thousand things right now, but a thousand, a thousand and one. <laughs> just want to say, I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking a little mellow with us uh, this Thursday. I'm trying to adjust my camera. I'm like fading in and out. I'm like, uh, <laughs> oh, you good, see half man. my face, you see my whole face. What'd you say? Half my face or my whole face? <laughs> Where? Yeah, we got you. It looks okay. Good. Um, cool, man. So, first off, we saw a tweet that you put out maybe like a week ago, that got uh, a lot of attention on the internet. And we kind of just wanted to get your opinion on why you believe Melo's a better offensive player than LeBron James. Um, well, when I put it out there, um, I had some time to kind of sit and reflect. Yeah. Uh, I would say that he has a better arsenal of moves than uh, LeBron James because when you look at offense, that also includes passing. Right. Um, so maybe amend that tweet a little bit. I think he's more um, offensively gifted than LeBron. When you look at LeBron's game, I mean, it was he was a guy that, you know, passed the ball a lot. I mean, he was a 6 eight point guard. He was, in some respects, people thought he was a reincarnate of, of Magic Johnson. I remember playing NBA Live 2004, and LeBron was the starting point guard, and J.R. Bremer was at the two, you know, and – and Barry Smiles was at the three. So, yeah. you know, when you when I look at that, you know, what I tweeted, I don't regret it because um, I, more than anything, the fact that it gave Melo some attention is, is what I care about. There's no way in the world um, that we're looking at, you know, going into training camp into this month, uh, preseason and what have you, and, you know, Carmelo Anthony isn't on the team. So, yep. you know, there are people who laughed and people who kind of questioned what I said. Um, more offensive skill, yes, as, as far as just an array, array of moves. When you look at his game, I think he's one of the pure small forwards that you've seen in the game um, since Glenn Robinson and, and, and Larry Bird. Uh, when you look at 
uh, Carmelo Anthony's ability to, you know, get any shot he wants and more. But I also think that the NBA game, the NBA game at large has changed because of the Golden State Warriors. So yep. the different type of, of, of game uh, and it kind of, you know, unraveled before his eyes. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of fair points. And uh, yeah, like when I saw that tweet, like uh, people asked me about it, like, yo, do you agree with that, that Melo is a better offensive player? And like you said, I think, you know, the arsenal of Melo's moves and things like that, he has more moves. Just like, yeah, the passing is a big part of it. But when you think of offense, like the whole point is to score points. So when we're talking about just like pure offensive scores, LeBron is what? I think he's sixth all time or something like that. And Melo is 19th. But I still yeah. think that Melo's a better scorer. It's just he hasn't played in as many games as and hasn't gotten as many opportunities and all that. But um, Yeah, and then and then when I look at Melo's career, I mean when you look at the the, the trajectory when he was in Denver, I mean he was really in the Western Conference uh trying to get a, a spot um against a Kobe Bryant and 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 Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili yeah. nominated San Antonio Spurs team. And then you come to the Eastern, Eastern Conference, and then, you know, you're going against Miami, LeBron, and, you know, the, the, the other competition not named Miami Heat. Right. Uh, that also included Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh was, you know, a Paul George-led uh, Indiana Pacers team that had Roy Hibbert and yeah. um, those other pieces. And, you know, it'd be interesting if, you know, the Lakers do pull the trigger and, and find a way to sign them. And, you know, you'd be playing for Coach Vogel versus playing against Coach Vogel, you know, right. years later. So, you know, when you look at just the adversity, I mean, everybody's had adversity. I'm not making any 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 arguments for him or making excuses for him. You know, you, you play to win. So, but I think when you look at just Carmelo Anthony, I think some of the other blemishes on him is, you know, you want it out in Denver. Um, when you were there and then you come to New York. But the thing is, him playing for the Knicks, he played for a Knicks team at a time when nobody wanted to play for the Knicks. I mean, yeah. your big attraction outside of Carmelo Anthony was Amari Stoudemire. You bought Chauncey Billups in. And, you know, the Knicks just couldn't get it done. But the Knicks, to me, um, when you look back at that trade to get Carmelo Anthony, I think they gave up a lot to get him. I mean, you had a young core. You know, when you look at an Oklahoma City Thunder team that went to the finals in 2012, they built through the, the – um, they built through the draft. Yep. And so the Knicks had a chance to do that. You had your Andy Routers as your Danilo Gallinari, sure. What have you. You know, I talked to Danilo uh, on the Scoopy Radio podcast, uh, which you can subscribe on all platforms. And he said to me, one of the things that um, he and Amari have often gone back and forth about is like the what if. Like, what if that team had stayed and did what they needed to do? And, and, and Carmelo Anthony was kind of in a situation back then that Anthony Davis ended up being in, you know, this offseason. Right. He won out. How do you make that happen? The only difference is, you know, Carmelo would have been a free agent that summer and the Knicks kind of got rushed by the Nets to, to get him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember that, but like the Nets and the Nuggets actually agreed on a deal. They did. Before the Knicks and Melo was like, I'm not signing the extension. And he was determined to find his way to New York. And just real quick, do you think Melo would have accepted an extension with the Nets? if the Knicks weren't able to get a deal done, or do you think he would have in the summer, even though the lockout and all that, do you think he still would have found his way to New York? I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's a mentor who was kind of on that story. Um, and it's funny you bring that up because he, you know, basically gave me the idiosyncrasies and just the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, what was going on uh, during that time you know, with the Nets and hoops who were still playing in Newark at the Prudential Center in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, you know, Melo, did not want to play um, for the New Jersey Nets and wasn't really part of that process of, you know, moving and rebuilding. 
And when you look at just the infrastructure of Darren Williams coming in, Darren came in at a point where, you know, he and Jared Sloan were getting along in Utah. Um, and then, you you know, you look at that offseason, they were they, they had already had before the offseason Gerald Wallace, if I'm not mistaken. Then, yeah. you know, they signed Joe Johnson that offseason. Um, and then you look at that following season when they were in Brooklyn, and then you look at how well the Nets were better than the Knicks at that point and how, you know, Gerald, Gerald Wallace was playing good defense on Carmelo Anthony. And I've always asked this question, what if Carmelo came in and stayed within that Nets infrastructure, he and Brooke Lopez and Darren Williams and, you know, Gerald have you would would shoulda coulda woulda. Um, um I, I think that the Nets would have just been an interesting case study on um trusting that process if Melo stayed. But you know, I, I think Melo being born in Brooklyn uh and then moving to Baltimore, I, I think he had his eyes set on um the Knicks and what we see now was the Nets I don't think was fathomable at that at that right. Moment. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um fair enough. Yeah. Uh Cool, man. Another question I have for you is, that was the situation in 2011. Now we're in 2019, and like you mentioned before, Melo's still not on a team as training camp is rapidly approaching, only, what, three weeks away. So, do you, straight up, do you think Melo's being blackballed? And if so, why? I don't think he's being blackballed. As, as I'm, I think that word blackballed, I think, in the era of Colin Kaepernick is... is, is um, it's not universally um, definable. Um, the word "the" we know what "the" means across the board. Blackball uh, is, is has a, a different meaning for right. different people. Um, what I will say is, as I mentioned earlier when we were talking, I think that the NBA game has changed. I think when yeah. even when you look at the big man position, you look at somebody like Dwight Howard and Brooke Lopez. They literally had to change their game. Um, because it's not an inside game, and that's why somebody like Taco Fall looks like such a unicorn. <laughs> right. Because they're not playing with backs to the basket, or if you're playing with your backs to the basket, you're a hybrid like, say, a Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns. Right. More. So to go back to your initial question about being blackball, I don't necessarily think he's blackball. I think the game has changed. I think when you look at Carmelo Anthony, um, there are guys that are younger, um, that some could, would, would argue were better than him. Um, and when you look at is, is, he a, is he a position one through nine on the, on the court, for some teams that may fit. You know, you look at Joe Johnson, who just signed with the, the Detroit Pistons today. Yeah. Imagine if Melo had signed with the Pistons last season. He'd be in a situation similar to Gerald Henderson. Excuse me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Gerald Henderson. <laughs> I'm human. Gerald Henderson, um, who, you know, bypassed signing with the Lakers. Uh, or Miami Heat because he wanted to get more playing time and play right. back in the shape. And then, you know, now he's in a situation with the Knicks. You know, so when you look at you look at Melo, you know, some may argue, well, he just wants to compete and win a championship. Well, I mean, he's put in the time, but then you look at somebody like Vince Carter, who's, you know, ended his career in Atlanta, but, you know, he's mentored young guys, and I know that impact is going to be felt um, from years to come. But for Melo, he's not that Vince Carter-type player. Right. You know, Vince may walk up out of here, assumingly, you know, if Atlanta doesn't win a championship, you know, <laughs> then, you know, he'll go out without a championship. Yeah. You know, when you look at Carmelo Anthony, they had, he and Vince had two different careers, but the fact remains is in, on certain teams, he's just not a fit. Um, when you look then when you get to the nuts and bolts and nitty gritty, a team like the Clippers, he's a fit. If you had asked me earlier in the summer where I think he would be the most perfect fit, 
I would have told you that the Miami Heat would have been a perfect fit. And, and I think part of the reason why is you got so much space. You got Jimmy Butler on an island by himself. Um, you know, I, I, I've spoken to some people. I was with Russell Westbrook the day he got traded out in Oklahoma. And what I can tell you is um, the, the talk in Oklahoma was that once things settled, you know, there could be a chance that not only would Chris Paul be shipped out to the Miami Heat, um, but there are some complications there. But that, that's a fit for Melo. Um, I personally thought DeMarcus Cousins should have went to Miami and had spoken with people within his camp that, you know, intimated to me that they think that would revitalize his career. And here we are now um, in the situation. So there's a lot of moving pieces. I don't think Melo's blackball. I do think Melo may not necessarily be as good as the best nine on a team, but he still has something to offer. And I think his resume is so huge. Certain teams don't want the, the, the structure or the, the annoyance of, Okay, you starting a 22 or 23 year old over a 35 year old 10 year NBA All Star. It's like Allen Iverson all over again. Yeah, yeah, and um, there were some reports um, that were saying that Melo's camp is actually using that to their advantage. Like, hey, you know, all the attention will be on Melo. So let's say he went to a team like the Clippers. You know, Kawhi isn't a huge fan of the media. We know that if he went to a team like Brooklyn, where Kyrie and KD aren't necessarily in love with the media, that they have a guy in Melo who, one, he'll take the attention away from those guys or some attention from them. And two, with all the shit that Melo went through with Phil at the end of New York, his New York tenure, that that kind of set him up for a situation like this where he can go in and kind of take not necessarily the heat, but some attention away from these big stars who aren't the best with the media. Yeah, and I'll add that the Wilson Chandler suspension for 25 games actually raised his chances. I, I can yep. tell you that that's, uh, sources that I've spoken with, you know, were interested in Joe Johnson. Uh, we turned to Brooklyn, and obviously that went the other way. But when you look at Carmelo Anthony, one of the things that I look at from a New York standpoint is um, I look at guys throughout the years who have been able to uh, handle the media very well uh, during their tenure and in, in, in you know, either baseball, football, basketball. And, you know, on the baseball side, I look at Derek Jeter. Um, on, on the football side, I look at Eli Manning. Um, and, and on the basketball side, I look at Carmelo. Um, I don't think that Patrick Ewing was always good with the media. So Melo kind of put, gets put in that boat. The only difference between Melo and, and, and said people and, you know, Eli and, 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 um, and, and uh, Derek Jeter is that Derek Jeter and Eli won. Right. You know, so when I look at the Brooklyn situation, the the Nets uh, historically, even Jersey to New York, um, have always done a good job of kind of insulating and protecting their players. Um, I don't think Kyrie hates the media. I think Kyrie has had bad experiences with uh, media in Cleveland. Um, And I think that in Boston, he kind of got a taste of his own medicine and how he handled situations in locker room with, with LeBron and he learned. And I think that in this situation in Brooklyn and him being a native of West Orange, New Jersey, he knows the New York media um, and he's been schooled on it. So I, I think when you look at Melo, um, I think Brooklyn would be a good fit, particularly with Kevin Durant out. Uh, as I mentioned before, Wilson Chandler sitting out for 25 games um, and, and really them needing a Jared Dudley type player on that team, uh, a young, but he's not Jared Dudley. But he's <laughs> yeah, a, Whenever you throw that name out there, people go crazy when, when uh, he, Jared Dudley he, gets. He'd be a cooler Jared Dudley. Yeah. What'd you say? He'll be a cooler Jared Dudley because I think Carmelo on this team is the hip hop 
what Jared Dudley on a D'Angelo Russell team is to classical music, but that classical music fit. That classical music may not fit on that Nets team, and it's no knock on Jared Dudley. That's, uh, no, that's interesting. Real interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, like, even the Miami situation, like you were talking about, that makes a lot of sense because there were, there's been rumblings around Brooklyn, obviously, Clippers, like I mentioned, and, uh, Miami and, the reason Chris Paul is not a member of the Heat right now is because they can't really complete a trade for him. But so what you're saying is once December 15th comes around and they could trade some of these free agents that they signed or just like trade options open up, that Chris Paul and Melo could be in Miami? Uh, I'm, I will tell you that that was a discussion that was had earlier summer and things Got can it. change. You know, I, I have to be careful now the way I preface things because people right. will hold you to the letter T. What I will say to you is, you know, even that situation with DeMar DeRozan, somebody asked me something about DeMar DeRozan last month, and I told them in July, you know, there were conversations. Um, the Knicks um, and, and had inquired as well as the Chicago Bulls uh, with the San Antonio Spurs about DeMar DeRozan. But, you know, those were conversations. You know, you could be talking about a drink of water and, oh, how is DeMar DeRozan? Things change. Um, and in Miami, it kind of got cold because on the Chris Paul side of things, after the you know the, the Russell Westbrook trade uh, was completed, um, the, the Miami Heat didn't want to give up their rookie uh, point guard. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those situations where things change and you have to kind of see what happens in December. Jimmy Butler's going to have a, an awesome season if he stays healthy. He has a team of his own. He wanted to be with Pat Riley. You know, before the trade happened between Minnesota and Philadelphia, Houston and uh, Miami were both neck and neck as far as making something happen. And the 76ers and Elton Brand, you know, they swooped in. I, I'm in contact with Elton, and Elton uh, got the steal of the of the free eight or the steal of the offseason right before the season started. And, you know, Daryl Morey still wanted – Jimmy Butler and the, and the Rockets could have used them because of all these sure. things that were going on in the locker room during the offseason. So, yeah. I mean, I'll see. How, we'll see how the Oklahoma City thing plays out. But you can you can see that you know they're trying to build around Shane uh, Gilgis Alexander and, and some of the young core that's there now in Oklahoma. Yeah, and plus it doesn't hurt that they have forty three draft picks in the next eight years over there. So uh, yeah, they're set up. Um, kind of continuing on that topic. What do you think the ideal role or kind of situation, like what team for Melo would fit the best? I know you talked about the Nets a little bit with no KD, Wilson Chandler out, and then uh, Couric's now getting in trouble with the law with all that stuff. And he's another wing that had some playing time last year, looked good. And now he, who knows if he's going to miss time or what's going to go on with him. So what do you think like a good fit for him would be like what team and what situation? I think the Lakers are still a good fit. Um, you're familiar. You look at a Frank Vogel system, um, you know, and just watching Frank Vogel as a head coach with um, the Pacers, you know, they, they, their their game is, is dominated around swings. Uh, you look at Paul George during his tenure there. LeBron James will be running point guard. He handling the ball a lot. Uh, I talked to Shaq uh, early this summer, and he, he and I were just talking about how um, he really likes, you know, that system in L.A. built around LeBron. Um, and so when you look at um, – Jason Kidd as the assistant coach, you know that they're going to be running the floor. Um, they'll play some half-court sets, and I think that Anthony Davis is going to be a focal point. I was with Anthony last week out in L.A., and we were just talking about his expectations for this season. And, um, you know, he expects to win. He expects to, you know, to, to really pound it on the floor and run and do what he needs to do. So when you look at a system where, you know, LeBron may need to be spelled in minutes and, and Anthony Davis need to be spelled in the minutes, I think when you look at Carmelo Anthony in the half-court set, 
Um, he still commands a double team. He still can create a basket uh, of his choosing, as, as, as my tweet should have said, maybe. But <laughs> you, when you look at the Lakers and you look at just uh, what they bring to the table, they have a lot of veterans. I mean, and I think that in their system, they can play tall ball, they can play small ball. It's to their, you know, you, you look at Melo, I mentioned, you know, creating any shot he wants. There'll be a Danny Green on the corner open. I'm sure, yep. you know, Danny's open for an open shot, you know, Melo can, can get it into him. So I think, you know, you look at Dwight Howard. Um, if, 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 if the Lakers want to sub in and out in this position basketball that there is, Melo could sub out a certain minute. So I, I like Melo in L.A. Um, I also like Carmelo Anthony um, in L.A. with the Clippers, if not L.A. with the Lakers. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, over the years, you know, Melo and Doc Rivers are both former Knicks. I'm sure they know each other in similar circles. Melo spends time in the offseason in L.A. Yeah. Um, the Clippers would make sense, uh, particularly because um, they already have a solid team. When you look at the Clippers in the playoffs this past season, I mean, they went toe-to-toe uh, with the Golden State Warriors uh, and, and succumbed to, to uh, an, a loss. But, you know, you saw the toughness that Patrick Beverly had. I mean, you saw Patrick Beverly training in Tim's this offseason. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw that shit. He was um, out of his mind, man. Williams doing his thing. So, I mean, I think either L.A. team works. Um, I, I think you look at the Knicks and the Knicks organization this season, I think they're going to do much better than people are giving them credit for. I agree. I, I think they could be a, a 35 to 45 win ball club this I season, uh, particularly because, um, you know, you're not going to have Charlotte to compete with. You, you have quite, we're asking questions about Miami um, only because Jimmy Butler is on that team. You have some other pieces there too, but um, I, I think the Knicks could do better. But I don't see Melo doing a farewell tour, or if you will, with the Knicks, just because I think that time has passed. I think the only New York team worth his time at this point is, is the Nets, but I also like Golden State. They could use some help. That's another team people have been talking about, like fit-wise, that like, he fits there. He fits there. Um, I spoke with Dwayne Wade the other day. Uh, you can check out an article that I wrote uh, today at heavy.com. Uh, Dwayne Wade told me that he thinks that uh, Jamal Crawford uh, should join the, the uh, Golden State Warriors. And uh, Jamal and I were talking back and forth today through text message, and we were talking about just um, how much that meant to him for Wade to, you know, to, to I mean, Wade said more than that, but right. um, they need scorers. You know, you, you've got Clay who could potentially be out all of, you know, this season in the yeah. playoff, uh, you bring in D'Angelo Russell. Uh, you know, Steph's been hurt the last couple of years. Draymond's going to get any shot he wants. But, you, you know, if the Warriors' office is predicated about scoring, you need scorers. And so Melo would fit the bill. Um, I, I would imagine he and Steve Kerr would get along. Um, but I'm sure that uh, maybe Phil Jackson said a couple of things to Steve Kerr. Uh, <laughs> It may deter him. I don't know. But yeah. I definitely think that there are some options. I, I, I think Melo's best fit would have been Portland. But, you know, you, you see reports about Trailblazers and, you know, maybe their unwillingness to, to yeah. make it happen. I also like him in Philadelphia. Uh, Joe Johnson uh, worked out for Philly. I don't think Philly's going to get him, but I think he would work out in Philly as a veteran leader. I was going to ask you about that. What do you think? Because, again, I feel like Philly bringing Melo off the bench strictly to score I feel like that's a really good fit as well. So what do you think about like Philly and Melo? Yeah, I mean, Philly to me um, improved this offseason. Even though they lost Jimmy Butler, I, I really do like the um, the addition of Al Horford. I think that's going to benefit Joel Embiid mightily uh, this season. This offseason, you added Matisse Thibault, who was a great defender in college out in Washington. Um, you know, 
I think that uh, when you look at the Sixers, obviously their point guard position is run by Ben Simmons, um, and, and Ben uh, could use the hot hands. The one thing that I, I watched in the playoffs this past season with the Sixers that I, that I think I'll miss is how much um, Jimmy Butler helped um, Ben Simmons score. Uh, there were times where in the half-court set, uh, Jimmy Butler was navigating the offense and, and got uh, Ben Simmons in the post. And he was outsizing your the opposing team's three or four uh, in the positionless basketball that we play. And so, you know, you lose Jimmy Butler this offseason. There have been times when I watch Melo early in his career in, in Denver, um, you know, manage point guard duties or at least, you know, share them with Andre Miller or, or more. And I think yeah. he's getting older at 35 years old in a half-court set. That, that kind of saves you some wind. Right. Um, so I, I think in a Philadelphia system, uh, that that could be beneficial, particularly for spot-up shooters like Al Horford. Um, you know, at times, uh, Joel Embiid can spot up and shoot. And, you know, you, you lost a shooter in, in, in uh, J.J. Reddick. So Another. You know, there's a lot of segmented pieces that I think Melo could fill. Um, and, and, and I think – but I, I just know how Philly moves. I don't see Philly making that move. Interesting. Um, we got people commenting right now, people saying, Scoop gets a follow, this guy is getting a follow. Would agree, do I have to get to talk to Russell Westbrook, then Jimmy Butler, then D. Wade and Jamal? So definitely, uh, yeah, what what degree? <laughs> yeah, the the can't stop, won't stop degree. The hustle degree, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Thank you for the follow, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate it. Um, word. So, kind of building on that, uh, Jamal and all that. The question I was going to ask you was, if your team, regardless of position, right, just like in general, who'd you rather have, Mello? J.R. Smith or Joe Johnson, but now Joe Johnson's off the market, what it seems like. So if you're a team and we're not talking position, we're just talking in general, which player would you rather have on your team right now? Melo, J.R., or Jamal? I can't give a blanket statement because it depends on fit. <laughs> yeah. so if you give me a team, I can answer. Uh, sure, let's go with Brooklyn. Carmelo Anthony. Okay. Uh, trying to think. Golden State. Jamal Crawford. Okay. Uh, Milwaukee. Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford. Uh, let's go Lakers. J.R. Smith. J. <laughs> Wait, why J.R. for L.A. The Lakers? Because I said Jamal and Camarillo. But <laughs> if I could take that, that, I actually like. Um. JR or Carmelo Anthony uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, yeah. I think that when you look at Milwaukee in the offseason, um, you know, you lost Malcolm Brogdon, um, a guy that I think is going to be a star in Indiana uh, this season. And I think that when you look at JR Smith, he needs to flourish around young guys. I think when you yeah. get around old veterans, you get boring. Um, I, like, I, I think that, and it goes, but here's the thing he can't be that classical music. Um, uh, 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 Jared Dudley, Jared Dudley type <laughs> in Milwaukee. He's got to be trap music, Jr. But <laughs> I like listen, man. I like I like my I like my trap brunch at BK Nine in Brooklyn, you know. But at the same time, like I think when it's time to be serious and play, you you got to do that. And um, I, I like the, I like Milwaukee's chemistry, particularly adding uh, Robin Lopez this offseason. Um, I think defensively, that's going to help him. Uh, and I think also um, that this is a make-or-break year for Giannis. And I think sometimes when you add too much to the pot, 
it kind of could deter from, from chemistry. And Jamal Crawford doesn't disrupt that. He adds on. You know, you think you think this is a make or break year for Giannis even after he won MVP? Yeah. Why? Um because I look at situations like in football. You look at Cam Newton, he went to the Super Bowl, and then what? Yeah. He had he had a good statistical regular season, but it's like we're paying more attention to him looking like a little red riding hood <laughs> than, than we are what he can do in the field, and he's a damn good football player. And so when I look at Giannis, like everybody was gassing, like I'm going to start calling people Exxon because they were gassing um, Giannis out of the compo as, you know, this MVP candidate um, over James Harden. And it's kind of crazy because when you look at James Harden's season this year, he was more deserving of the MVP this year than he was the year before when LeBron so, should have gotten it. I think so too. But the thing is, Giannis was just that damn good. And he was on a team that just excelled and exceeded expectations and came out of nowhere. Right. So, you know, you you look at that situation with, you know, um, I'm rambling, but when you look at that situation with, with, with Milwaukee, like, how do you replicate that? That, to me, that's pressure. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Like you said, a team who, I mean, they were expected to be good, but nobody – kind of expecting them to be the number one seed. And, that damn good. Yeah, and have the MVP and all that on their team. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely get what you're saying with, uh, you know, Giannis having some pressure on him. But, you know, just real quick, back to JR, what do you think is going on with them? Because the reason I brought up Milwaukee was because him and Milwaukee were apparently speaking to each other. They were. Yeah. They were. They, they, he went out there for a meeting and everything, and then it got real quiet. Uh, from indications that I got, um, there was a good meeting. It was a solid meeting, and then it got quiet. But the other thing is um, there were other teams that were interested in him. Philly was interested in him at one point. Uh, the Houston Rockets were interested, and when the Houston Rockets were kind of interested, they were kind of figuring out what was next, um, particularly at the big man position and how do they – uh, fortify uh, the rest of the rest of their team, uh, and I just think that when you have a team in James Harden, um, you got to be. I feel like James Harden is a is a polished Tracy McGrady with better playmaking skills. Okay, and I and, but but one is not better than the other. That's just in that system. That's where he works. And I think that in that situation, because J.R. Smith is a little bit older. Um, and because J.R. Smith, in some people's minds, has a, has a tendency to stand around, um, I, I think a lot of people just think he's silly. And I think that that situation in Cleveland really rescued his career, being up under LeBron, playing with Kyrie, winning the championship, and being polished with them when LeBron left. He just becomes one of those guys that's a LeBron guy. Like, you know, you look at the Houston, excuse me, you look at the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. You know, certain guys you knew were, or Phil Jackson or Michael guys. You know, John Sally was going to go where Phil went. You knew that Ron Harper was going to find his way to the Bulls or to the Lakers and what have you. And, and, you know, I think it's an assumption that, you know, J.R. Smith is a LeBron guy, but so was Melo at this point in his career. So, you know, the Lakers have to figure some things out. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I just thought it was really weird how, like, he met with Milwaukee and nothing since then, like no rumors with any other teams. And I still think J.R. can ball out. I mean, last year he played like 14 games or something like that. and. Him and the Cavs kind of just, from what I know, mutually agreed to just part ways because JR didn't want to be on that team. They didn't really need JR because they were playing the younger guys. So, um, yeah, just interested in that. And 
One more, and we'll let you out of here. Um, favorite mellow moment. This could be an encounter you had with him. This could be you watching one of his games with the Knicks and, you know, witnessing something crazy. Just what, like, to you is your favorite mellow moment? I mean, I have a few. What I can say about mellow is uh, what you see is what you get. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh, my first NBA All-Star uh, weekend. It was 2014 uh, in New Orleans, the first time in New Orleans. Yeah. And, um, and I had never been to New Orleans. And at the time, I was at the Source magazine, and my, my editor would not fly me out and, um, and put me up. And I crowdfunded. Uh, and in the nine days, I raised $2,300. That's crazy. And when I, you know, I was credentialed and everything and I was in the hallway when the Eastern Conference team was lining up. And just to give you a point of reference, this is 2014. Um, I, 2014 was a breakout year for me. And, and what I can tell you is um, I had gotten to know Melo from just going to his pro camps where I met you. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about that for those listening off or watching off air, but um, you know, so I had seen Melo there and then I'd see him in public and just over the years covering him. And, he was like in the hallway with Ron and Chris Bosh and Joe Johnson, who I knew knew because I covered the Nets and what have you. And Melo saw me. He stopped what he was doing. He said, man, he said, good to see you. He goes, um, I told him this was my first All-Star game. He goes, well, welcome, man. Have a seat. Enjoy. Like, he's always been, you know, throughout the years just covering him, um, yeah. kind to of me. Um, and, and I, you know, maybe I'm partial, but you, you would think that the way he was treated, you know, through the media that, you know, he scored eight or nine points a game. I mean, even Houston with, you know, when he played against the Nets in that game, if I'm not mistaken, Stegen, he scored 28 in that game. 28, nine of 12 from the field. There you go. Uh, but, you know, to go back to your point of my interaction, Melo's always been accessible to me in that. That was pretty much a fine moment, um, yeah. that situation in New Orleans. And, you know, um, just always been a cool dude. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, same thing. I don't want to really... Go off on it now, but like, same. He's been like just the nicest dude ever, and that's why, like you said, you would think based on how the media talks about him, based on how guys like Phil Jackson talk about him, that and George Carl, that he's this evil dude who's selfish and egotistical and everything. But when you meet him and all that, literally couldn't be more of the opposite. But you know, here's the thing. Um, when you say or when someone says something enough times in the media then people believe it um so this narrative that mellow is washed or this narrative that mellow is uh done you you say it enough times it's, it's true um to people and so you know i went to college in philly uh during the time that alan iverson was a 76er um and also you know as a kid i started in the, in the journalism field at 12 years old i had a radio show with the nets when i was a kid that's awesome uh, thank you so you know in the 90s I would see Woj in the locker room and Stephen A. Smith in the locker room as a kid. Yeah. Um, so over the years, you know, I've seen the journey, whatever, of different people. And Chris Broussard is still a good friend of mine. Right. I saw him when he was, you know, in the field. And what I can say to you is, um, Mel, there's nobody more revered in Philadelphia than, than oh, excuse me, than Allen Iverson. But it got to a point where he got older and people just didn't want to put up with his crap anymore. Um, and, and a lot of it was his fault. And years later, he's owned up to it. And, you know, he spoke to me during his retirement ceremony in Philadelphia, just about some of the mistakes he made. And, you know, he's glad he made it. But, um, I think people are trying so hard to peg Mello in that box. And I also think that that whole thing in Oklahoma about not starting 
has kind of haunted him a little bit. And I mean, what do you expect somebody to say when you ask him in a press conference, hey, you know, you gotta start, you wanna start, are you gonna come off the bench? And he's questioning, like, come off the bench. What great player or winner do you know that's not going to ask? And the year after he was an all-star. He was an all-star the year before. Yeah. And when you look at the Oklahoma City thing with the Thunder, I mean, he was really option four. Yep, that's what he said. Russell was was one. Paul George was two. It's arguable that Stephen Adams was three and Melo was four. Yeah, and he still put up 16. Yeah, and then I'll tell you, I've been writing about this throughout the night. Stephen A. Smith was on – uh, Power 105's The Breakfast Club today. And he was talking about how um, analytics is a huge reason why Melo was not in the league. And he talked about how you have nerdy guys who, you know, judge you based off of your 10 games every 10 games. And, you know, those 10 games going in, he was going within the first, what, 10 games? 10, yeah. You're, you're judged based off of, of Daryl Morey. I'm, I'm not going to sit and insult Daryl Morey at all. Uh, but I also do think that it's a double-edged sword when you go from Atlanta to Houston, and then in Houston you're playing with a coach you played for with the Knicks and, De- and Mike D'Antoni. So I think you go from waving a no-che clause with the Knicks, going to Oklahoma City, playing for the Thunder, being option four, to being traded to the Atlanta Hawks, to getting cut, Knicks to give you a jersey, to going to Houston, and um, within 10 games you out of there. So it's like... It's a narrative. It's a narrative in your reputation procedure. Right. But there's technicalities to that. And I also just think somebody like Phil Jackson, who I have the most respect for, um, that old school thinking um, is the reason why LeBron's posse is a business entity now. Sometimes you have to analyze what people say and consider the source. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, Dude, everything you said is like on point. It's the whole narrative that, like you said, traded. Traded again, cut, then after 10 games, told we don't need you anymore. And it's the narrative. Like, people who don't watch and who don't understand that Melo was the fourth option in OKC and he still put up 16 a game. That in Houston, he did come off the bench. And, you know, besides that last game where he went one for 11, if you look at his stats the first nine games, they were above league average for, you know, field goal percentage, three point percentage, and all that. But people don't want to look at that. And that's. Me, as Melo being my favorite player for 15 years now, it, it annoys me because, you know, it's this narrative that people are building. And like you said, you keep saying it, you keep saying it, and people just believe it. So, you know. Yeah, and I'll add that when you look at Melo now, it kind of reminds me of of, of Terrell Owens when um, he ended up playing for the Bills and then he was going to this team and that team. It's kind of like, it's the end. And I guess one of the things I've been thinking about today is, you know, like people try to come at Jamal Crawford at 39 for being quote unquote old. But the thing is, you can't put that narrative on him because um, he went to a Phoenix, a young Phoenix Suns team um, that, you know, I think will be much better this year um, with my new head coach, Monty Williams. But when you look at you know what, what he did, you can't say Jamal Crawford selfish. I just think, He's a team player. You know, he took an L. Philadelphia last season was, was offseason was very big on, on uh, Jamal Crawford. And, you know, you, you look at, you look at um, him going to Phoenix last offseason, uh, it helped. But, you know, when you look at Melo, it's championship or bust. Two different narratives and two different guys. Um, but here's the thing. You kind of can't take anything away from Jamal Crawford when, you know, he's a multiple-time six-man-of-the-year uh, right. player. Same way you can't take anything away from Vince Carter. 
slam dunk champion and, and, and has played for a myriad of teams. So yep. Melo, you're telling a superstar to be humble. What superstar is humble, Dad? <laughs> right. It's a it's a it's a conundrum, man. Yeah. Facts, man. Um awesome dude. Well, really, really appreciate your time. Uh and you hopping on and talking some out with us. A lot of fucking insight that uh you know a lot of people probably didn't think about before tonight that you kind of put them on and based on what people are writing dude they're, they're loving what you're saying so again really appreciate your time dude and uh we'll definitely connect soon for sure and for all those that are following make sure you subscribe to the scoopy radio podcast as well uh it's available on all platforms I, I, platforms not farms platform <laughs> uh iheart radio google play tune in app stitcher app Apple Apple Podcasts or visit scoopbradio.com. We've had anybody from Jamal Crawford himself to, to Charles Barkley to Shaq to the voice of Syria and, and many more. Thanks for having me on your platform, brother. Yes, sir, dude. Have a good yeah. one, bro. You too, brother. All right, man. Shout out to Scoop for coming on, man. A lot of, a lot of good content from there. A lot of insights that, you know, not a lot of people knew before that, like, you know, the Miami situation with Chris Paul. I mean, people knew about that. Uh, you know, the Jamal Crawford stuff was really interesting. The comparison between him and Melo and all that shit. So, yeah, man, shout out to Scoop. And definitely go check out his podcast. Check out all the stuff he's doing, all the articles he's writing, man. He's killing it over there and he's hustling, which he definitely respects. So. Scoop B Radio. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.